Let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Yeah, I am. Does that take two? Is that what you're telling me? All right. Let's open up our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And we're going to be starting this uh, great epistle that Paul writes, of course, in his continuance to try to correct the church at Corinth. I want to start off, I want to read you a quote. This is by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And I think it's appropriate, and you'll see why here in a moment. Here, here's, here's what he said. Some may object to my dogmatic assertions, but I do not apologize for them. Every preacher should believe strongly in his own method. And if I cannot persuade all of, my, uh, all of the rightness of mine, I can at least stimulate them to think and consider other possibilities. I can say quite honestly that I would not cross the road to listen to myself preaching. And the preachers whom I have enjoyed most have been very different, indeed in their method and style. But my business is not to describe them, but to state what I believe to be right. However imperfectly, I have put my own precepts into practice. I can only hope that the result will be of some help and especially to young preachers called to this greatest of all tasks, and especially in all these sad and evil times. With many others, I pray that the Lord of the harvest may thrust forth many mighty preachers to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's taken from his book, Preaching and Preachers. And I, I gave that to you because... We're going to be looking at Paul's letter, not just the content of it, but the acceptance of how they received it. And I think that's important. And so my introduction is going to be a little bit lengthy, thus we will not be covering very many verses. But it's important. The church at Corinth was epitomized by the term carnality. This church was extremely divided, as we saw in the last book. And because they were divided and carnal, they were led into doctrines that were basically and biblically in error. Thus, Paul wrote his first epistle to combat these errors. And that epistle, uh, Paul's desire for the Corinthians was that their walk should be more spiritual than it was. As you recall, the carnality manifested itself in some saying, well, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Peter, I'm of Jesus. And seeking to draw them into a more spiritual walk with the Lord and to correct their doctrinal errors, Paul confronted them very bluntly and directly. And, of course, not all of them liked it. And Some of them were teachable, some of them were not. There are those who did repent in Corinth at Paul's preaching, at his letter. They repented and they moved on and, and grew in their walk with the Lord. But there were those, as we will see, who only hardened their disdain for Paul. 
And of course, those who turned on him were the Judaizers, who were really aloof to his preaching of the doctrine of grace alone. And of course, as Paul taught it. So they began to openly resist Paul and to challenge his apostleship. It's more likely uh, that Timothy was the one who delivered the first epistle, and no doubt he was the one who brought back their reaction to Paul as to, after they heard it. We know that Titus had stayed there for a while and, and uh, in Troas, and of course, it was supposed to meet Paul and to report on the condition of the Corinthian church to Paul. When Paul got to Troas, though, Titus was not there. And so he did, um, the Lord anyway, opened up an effectual door of ministry for him in Troas. However, because of the offenses of the Corinthians that might have for him, Paul did not stay in Troas, as we found out. Instead, he journeyed to Macedonia, uh, and he met up with Titus later on, and of course, uh, who filled him in on what was going on in Corinth. And of course, he more likely started the book in Troas and then finished it in Macedonia, and then of course sent it on to, first, or to, to the Corinthian church. So let's look at verse 1 here. Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. If you're taking notes, underlined by the will of God. And Timothy, our brother, unto the church of God which is at Corneth, with all the saints which are in all Acacia. You've heard me say numerous times, them that are, are them that do. That's not my saying. I stole that from Pastor Chuck Smith many, 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 many moons ago because it makes sense. It's the truth. What I mean by it and what he meant by it was when we are dealing with the issue of calling in the body of Christ, that thing that God has called you to do, it's important that you understand that it is a miraculous thing. It's a supernatural thing. It's not something that can be comprehended by uh, you know, normal uh, people that are not walking with the Lord. They're not going to comprehend that. You cannot place a square peg if, as it is in a round hole. It just doesn't work. You can't make a pastor teacher an evangelist and expect to have any kind of real results. Now, there are exceptions to the rule. Every time I say that, I think of Greg Laurie, who's a great pastor teacher evangelist but they are rare and far and few between. He's the only one I can think of, to be honest with you. And so, most of the time, our calling is in those particular, you know, some area of that. And to try to be something else is futile. I remember Pastor Chuck saying years ago that for years he thought that he was an evangelist, and so he went about, and uh, him and his brother, uh, Paul, of course, you know, had actually came through Ohio. And I remember when me and him was talking one time, he had actually stopped, I think, back in the 50s in Zanesville and preached there. And uh, to no avail. Chuck freely admitted when he was here, uh, you know, in, in the flesh. Of course, he's home with the Lord now. He freely admitted that he was a miserable evangelist, and it was frustrating to him. It wasn't until he began to simply do what God had actually called him to do, and that is to be a pastor teacher, that he saw the results that God really wanted for him. So it's important that we understand. You know, you remember back in 1 Corinthians, Paul asked a simple rhetorical question. Are all apostles? 
are all prophets, are all teachers? And of course, you know the answer. The answer is no. We don't all do the same thing. It's not, uh, just not feasible. What you need to note here is that Paul was an apostle by the will of God. His apostleship, his ordination, if you will, was bestowed upon him by God. It wasn't given to him by some men. There was no men who laid their hands on him and said, Thus, Brother Paul, you are an apostle. Paul was made an apostle by the will of God. His apostleship was evident. He even told them in the first apostle, you, you know, you, they were the fruit of his ministry. I've had many people who wanted to be in ministry, who wanted to or desired the office of a bishop come to me and say, Pastor Doug, how do I know that I have this calling in my life? And it's a very simple thing. Here's what I always tell them. And I will continue to tell them the same thing. Look behind you. What do you mean? Look behind you. Is anybody following? If the answer is no, then you're probably not called. Not to that. Because if there's no fruit of that ministry in your life, then it just probably isn't. Now, sometimes it takes us years to come to the realization of what it is that God's called us to do because sometimes we can resist it. Because we don't want to do that thing that God has called us to do. Because we don't think we're able to do it. And you aren't. Because maybe we haven't learned yet that we, you know, that God calls the, uh, God equips the called. You understand. He doesn't call the equipped. So sometimes there can be years that, you know, it can pass before we realize that. But no, nonetheless, we will not see success until we are walking in that thing that God has called us to do. And so it's important that we walk in that thing that God has called us. It's by the will of God. You know, Paul said in Romans eleven twenty nine. 29, you know, by the grace of God, I am what I am. I'm sure that it was disheartening for Paul to hear that there were those in Corneth who were challenging his apostleship. Keep it in mind, Paul was the one who established that church. No doubt he had discipled these men, you see. I've heard and read more books on this situation with Paul. Why did the Corinthians turn on him? Why? Not all of them, but a great number of them did. Why? I offer this simply as a possibility because conjecture is all we have. But I conjecture it based upon what I have read in the Scriptures Paul tells them, and we will see later on, it's a very small thing, brethren, that I should be judged of you. I have one who judges me. They had come to judgments of Paul. Why? The, the Corinthians actually would later on say that in letter he is mighty. His, his letters are powerful. But in presence, ooh, <laughs> he's weak. What do they mean by weak? Here's what I think they meant. Paul was a man. You remember as we went through Romans, Paul said, Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the bondage of this? He had freely admitted that when I would do good, I find that evil is present with me. What did he mean by that? Well, he meant that sometimes his motives were not pure because he was still a man. Paul was all man. 
but he was all a man of God. And he didn't try to put on the airs of being anything but that. The problem with that is that when you get around people who read your letters, and today I would even give you the example of my own ministry, and that is because most of my ministry has been in radio. And people who hear you and and they never see you often make assumptions as to what you look like, you see. And by hearing your preaching, they often make assumptions as to what you really are like. I remember my first stint in radio. This would have been all the way back in the 80s. This isn't my notes. I'm going to give it to you for free. I was a young pup in the Lord. I was even younger in radio. Hadn't been on very long, but I had a radio show called The Power Source. And it was on a full-blown station, big power station. And it was heard all over. It was, it, was, it was a great show. We had great listenership. And one day, it was during the week, these people showed up at the station. And I was in there working and just doing my normal thing. And they came in and said, uh, we just were, you know, we're, we're from Virginia or some other place. Uh, and uh, we did reach that far. We were broadcasting that far. And they said, you know, we just wanted to see the station. Is that fine? I said, sure, come on in, you know, make yourself at home, <laughs> you know. Good look around. We had a kitchen. We had, it was a very nice station. It was beautiful. And I had to keep doing what I was doing. So I was in the control room flipping tapes and, you know, doing things. And all of a sudden they were getting ready to leave. And I mean, I didn't have time to give them the grand tour, which wouldn't have taken very long anyway. Um, but this one lady stuck her head in the control room. I'll never forget it. And she said, we really wanted to see Doug Copen. And I says, well, it's your lucky day. <laughs> I'm Doug. And I saw the look on her face. She was like, really? I said, yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm Doug. And she was like, oh, well, you don't look anything like I thought you would. <laughs> I did. I, even as a young man, I was smart enough to, to not ask, was that good or bad? at the time. I saw the look in her face. My point being, people make assumptions. They hear your voice. They think, you know, that I'm tall, dark, and handsome. Now, I am to my wife, <laughs> you see. Uh, but in reality, I'm very short. I'm, I'm vertically challenged, and some would even say horizontally. But the fact is, <laughs> I am what I am by the grace of God. And often when people meet us and they get to know us personally, you see. Sometimes they get to the point where they're not able to divide between the spiritual and the physical. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because sometimes if they get to know you personally as a pastor or as a teacher, they go, wow, this guy's just a normal guy. This, this, this guy's normal. And that's, that's actually a good thing, okay? That's a good thing. But sometimes people aren't able to handle that. Why? Because we tend to elevate people in the ministry. We want to put them up on that pedestal and think that somehow, you know, they, they, they don't have problems. You know, they don't say things. They don't suffer with the same things. Even though Paul, writing to his constituents, if you will, said, we are, you know, we, we are men of the same passion, brethren. We, are, we, we have the same problems. We, we go through the same thing. We're all on the same level, if you will. The only thing that sets us apart is our differences in calling. 
And so Paul, I think, suffered the same fate. I think what it was, was that when he got to Corinth, when he finally got there, and some of them got to be around him and saw his normalcy, you see, they began to question his apostleship. Well, he's just a normal guy. Oh, he writes well, you see. Very powerful in his writing, but oh, you heard him talk. I mean, you know. And I think that that was probably part of it because there doesn't seem to be any other explanation. And I know it's not just doctrinal, although that's part of it. But I'm sure for Paul it was disheartening because those who were questioning his apostleship, I'm sure some of them were friends of his. People whom he had probably personally led to the Lord, maybe even discipled. And who at one time had come along and actually helped him in his ministry. Now they're questioning. Because really what they're saying, you see, is that Paul basically took that title upon himself. That somehow he just called himself that. He's not what he really was, you see. So it was tough for him. But as we read this passage, you know, know, called by the will of God. There's a question I want to ask you. What does... What's that mean to you? I mean, if you were writing this to the Corinthian church, how would you write this salutation? If I was writing it, I would have to say, Doug Copen, pastor, teacher, by the will of God. That's what I am. It's what I've been for 30-some years. Some people have questioned that, (laughs) I'm sure. And you can do that if you want. But my ministry is evident. I've reached thousands of people. And that's by the will of God. That's by, it's humbling to me. Because so often, I don't get it. And like Lloyd-Jones, I can honestly say, I wouldn't walk across the street to hear me preach. But yet, people tune in, and people have been won to Christ because of why? Because of the Holy Spirit, because of the work of the power of God and the anointing of God. It's got nothing to do with the vessel It has to do with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that is in the vessel. It doesn't matter who the vessel is. But that's how I would write it. How would you write it? You know, because, you know, so often when we think of in the body, when I say, you know, what's your position in the body? So often we think of pastors and teachers or deacons and elders. And and that's part of it, no doubt. But it's also very true that you could say John Doe. car salesman by the will of God or Sally Joe, a teacher by the will of God or whatever that blank is. I used to tell my elders and, and, and my deacons because I, you know, we had discipleship classes and men's fellowship and, and I would always tell them because most of them had, you know, working jobs and I would say never make the mistake of thinking that the guy who signs your check is who you're working for. That's the man or the woman whom God is using to supply your need. But that's not who you're working for. You're working for the Lord. And that's the fact. So wherever you're at in in life, doesn't matter what it is that you're doing, you're doing it by the grace of God. And that's what you're called to do. And so it's important that we understand it, that my calling in Christ is by the will of God. And I can honestly say, and I'm glad to be able to say tonight, 
that I'm doing exactly what God has called me to do. And I have never ceased to do it. I've had moments of hiatus. I've had moments of discouragement, as we're going to see Paul did. And, and just as you have. And we all have and we all suffer the same thing. But we're in Christ and we are called by His calling that is supernatural and it is by the Holy Spirit. Thus, I love the fact that Paul said that the, callings, the gifts and the callings of God are what? Without repentance. So God's called you to do a particular thing. And, you know, just embrace it and do it in the name of the Lord. This is what Paul did. And he goes on, of course, talking about Timothy, our brother. In his last epistle, Paul encouraged the Corinthians to treat Timothy even as himself, as you remember. He said, for he worketh the work of the Lord, even as I also do. Timothy was sent to Corinth by Paul. And, of course, he taught them. He ministered to them. Uh, now in this second epistle, Paul joins Timothy in this greeting. And notice also that the epistle was written not only to the church at Corinth, but also to Acacia, which is the area around it, so all the churches that were been around it. So they would take these letters that Paul, and I know was, even though they were directed towards the Corinth church, uh, and often they would read them in many, many churches, and, and this is how the Word of God was propagated. They would just take them and they would stand and read them. Not even realizing, keep it in mind, when, when in the New Testament church, when they would open the Bible, they would open the, the Old Testament. And they would still read the Old Testament. But Paul's letters would be being read to them also. Just think that's kind of wild because they, they were in the midst of watching the new revelation of God being brought into the world and they were actual eyewitnesses to it, but I doubt that they actually knew that. I doubt that Paul knew it. But it's a very amazing thing to me. Verse 2, he says, Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Once again, we see this typical Paulinian greeting, which many have called the Siamese twins of the New Testament. Grace and peace, in that order. Because you'll never know peace if you do not embrace the grace of God. There is an old heresy You've heard me mention it over the last few weeks. I will continue to do so because it seems to be gaining momentum. Saw a, a woman posting on, you know, you see all kinds of crazy stuff on Facebook. But three reasons why you should reject the doctrine of original sin. You know, you weren't born sinners. You were, be wary, my friends. Regardless of whether you're sitting here or you're listening by radio, beware of false teachers who come to you. Because some of their craziness sounds like they're trying to be more holy, you see. But in their desire to be holy, they are leaning upon their own holiness. They are trying to embrace their own righteousness. And on the day of judgment, it will not stand. Because it's only the righteousness of Christ that gives us the ability to stand in the presence of a holy God. On your best day, you fall so short and so do I of all that God requires. What does God require? God requires perfection. And we are in Christ, but in Christ alone. But this crazy doctrine keeps raising its head. But it's grace and peace, Paul said. And you'll only know peace if you embrace the doctrines of grace. 
total reliance upon one who has done it all. He lived, he died, he rose again, he stands at the right hand of the Father for me. And I thank God for that. Because like the Apostle Paul, and you like the Apostle Paul, we have our flaws, my friends. We are not flawless. We are perfect, but we are not flawless. There's a vast difference between the two. Perfection is in Christ. My righteousness is in Christ. My holiness is in Christ. I'm holy because of Him. In spite of me. And I'm so thankful for that. That God does not call the equipped. He doesn't look down and say, Oh, you know, Doug, he's got it all together. Far from it, my friends. He doesn't look down upon you and go, Oh, Sally Joe, she's got it all together. I think I'm going, No. He goes, you know what? Here's one that's pretty messed up. I'm going to put this guy in the ministry and let the Word of God mold and train him and teach him to do better. Because that's what happens. That's how the Holy Spirit works, through the Word of God in all of our lives. Grace and peace. Paul always gave them together. The Siamese twins of the New Testament. I would further point out That when Paul gives this salutation, it's not just a salutation from Paul. Look at how he says it. You'll notice he said, grace be to you and peace from whom? From God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now as he says that, I want you to consider that what Paul is saying is he's went from the office of an apostle, which he obviously was, but now he's speaking in the position as prophet why because he says what if i walked up to you and i says oh yes paul the lord wanted me to tell you you have a great day peace and grace be unto you i've just made myself a prophet i'm speaking as one you see because now i'm telling you that this is what god told me to tell you this is what paul says grace and peace to you from god the father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was writing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and we should never forget that. You know, he tells, you know, uh, it, Timothy, you know, all scripture is given by inspiration, theonustos of God. It's breathed by him. You know, it, it is given by him. Thus, we need to listen to it. So we need to recognize it, that, that this is Paul writing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's directly from God to the Corinthian church, but not just to them, to us also. Verse 3, blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Paul's introduction to uh, Ephesians 1-3 is very similar when you read this. First, he starts off with grace and peace and the acknowledgement of his mission and the fact that he was an apostle by the will of God. Then he moves on to thanking God and giving praise to God, who is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Who cometh, comfort us, excuse me, comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we might be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so the consolation also aboundeth by Christ. 
and whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as you are partakers of the suffering, so shall you also be of the consolation. Great passage of Scripture. If you've ever wondered why God allows suffering and afflictions in the lives of believers, pay special attention to the verses we just read. It's sometimes hard for us to understand why God would allow us to experience suffering of any kind. Because we have this mindset that God is love. Well, He is. Well, if God's love, why would He allow me to go through this? And even those who are enemies of God have used this reasoning against Him. Because in their mind, if God is love, like I said, why would He allow this stuff to happen? The truth is that God is sovereign, as you all know, and controls all aspects of our life. If God loves me so much, why would he allow this? Well, Paul explains here that he experienced these things and the afflictions and trouble in order that he might experience the comfort of God so that later on he can comfort those who are going through the same thing with the same type of comfort that he also had. It was important to Paul to be able to minister by God in those particular areas so that he could do it in the same way and in the same manner that God had done it for him. As Christians, it's important to realize that we all have a story. Every person has a story. And really, as I've told you before, it's his story in your life. That's, that's really what it is. And everybody's story is filled with something. The good, the bad, the ugly, and sometimes the tragic. In the 60 years that I've been alive, 37 of which I have been serving Christ, I've been through my share of trial and tribulation. I've had my share of trouble. Thus, I'm better able, I think, to minister to those who are going through similar circumstances because I understand what they're going through. I remember when my grandson was killed at four years old in a car accident. I remember the anguish in my daughter's voice when she called me to ask me why. She'd only been, she'd only been a Christian for a couple months. I remember that. I also remember how the Lord used it to His glory eventually. And how the Lord comforted not only me, but those who were also affected. And I remember that. And so years after that, at Calvary Chapel, I had this young couple who began to come. Who's, I think she was three years old. Her their daughter had been accidentally well, she, she, she died. It was an accident, but she died. And they were searching for any church, and, and the Lord led them to me. And I think he did, because I knew what it was like. 
I knew what they were feeling. I understood it. Sometimes you just need to be there for people just to pray. Sometimes people just want an ear, you see. But you're able to minister. You're able to point that, you know what, the Lord, here's what the Lord did with that situation in my life. Here's how the Lord comforted me. I remember years as I was coming to my understanding of Christ and I wound up homeless. Now, I wasn't on the streets of Chicago. I wasn't sleeping out in the cold, but I was taking baths in a cold river because I had no place to lay my head. And I was in my early 20s. And oh, it was all self-inflicted, you see. Understand that. But I also saw the hand of God in it and how the Lord delivered me from that and how he brought me to a better place. And so I've had people come to me who tell me about their afflictions. Well, tell me about it, brother, because I've had a few myself. And it was Jesus who delivered me out of them all. I remember 16 years ago laying on what I thought at that time was my deathbed. I couldn't walk. My legs were totally swollen because they thought my heart had went bad. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> had one of those recently. And I remember having the phone was, was laying right next to me. And I remember this one young man calling me and he began to pour out his woes to me about his troubles. And I said, really? Well, let me hear him, brother. Let me tell you what the Lord's doing in my life right now. And so it just makes you better to be able to understand and to be able to give better comfort to those who are suffering and to show them that it is Christ that we need to be trusting in. It is God that we need to keep our trust and our faith in because He is the God of all mercy and the God of all comfort. There's no comfort in any other. Nobody's going to pull you out of the fire, so to speak, if you understand what I mean. So often when we get into trouble, we, we always think it's somebody within the body of Christ is going to, you know, help me with my woe. And, and I'm not saying that the Lord can't do that and use somebody in the body of Christ. What I'm saying is often we turn to the body of Christ instead of turning to the one who is in control of the body of Christ. Do you understand what I'm getting at? Because I was never the type, and I think the Lord used it. I've never been typed to poor mouth God. I just don't do it. I, I, I don't. I don't care how broke I've been. I've been pretty broke in my life. I know what it's like to abound, but I know what it's like to be abased. I really do. And I've never stood and said, oh, Lord, you know, I need this amount. Of, I need this or I need. I just don't do it because I know if God wants me to have it, I'll have it. I believe that with my whole heart. I have committed my life to him. And I'm able to trust him because he has proven himself. We'll talk about that later. But I'm sure that many of you have the same testimony. You've seen the comfort of God in your life. You've seen the provision of God in your life. You've been through your ups and downs. You've been at the highs and the lows. You've been through it. And when somebody else comes alongside you, my encouragement to you is use that and remember what it was that Christ did for you. Remember what it was and how it was that God ministered to you and use it to minister to them. That's what Paul's telling us. If you've been through the pains of poverty, you know what it's like to not know. I have. I remember one time not knowing. I remember opening the cabinet one time, and I'm not telling you this. I mean, it's just the truth. And all there was in that cabinet was crackers and saltines on top of that, and not very many of them, and ketchup. 
<laughs> ketchup's a, and you know what? In a time when you're starving, ketchup and saltines taste like a steak. I know how to abound. I know how to be abased. But the Lord also showed me some great things during those times and delivered me from those. So I've been able to help. That's why I'm not one of those bleeding heart type Christians. I'm really not. Now I have compassion, but I base it on reality. I do not want to enable anybody to continue in stupidity. I've been stupid in my own life. I've done some stupid things. And I've reaped what that brings. And I've learned from it. So my job, I do not see as to enable somebody, you know. My job is to encourage them in the Lord with the same encouragement that I myself have experienced. So when I tell a man, listen to me, get your life, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desire of your heart. I can say that with absolute certainty. Why? Because he's done it for me. When I tell somebody, listen to me, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. I can say that with absolute certainty. Why? Because he's done it for me. And I'm nothing special. I'm just a normal guy who has a calling upon his life and whom God has supplied in some very rough situations. But God has allowed it to be so. You see, so often when we're going through the trials and tribulations of life, we think that it's some strange thing, as Paul said, has come upon us. No, it's nothing strange. It's the Lord allowing you to come to the end of you that you might direct your trust and your confidence in Him. This is the part of Christianity that most people don't get. How many of us have heard that old statement? God will never give you more than you're able to handle. You ever heard somebody say that? Oh, I've heard that a million times. It is, the, it is absolutely a lie of the devil. God will absolutely give you more than you can handle. Not because he's trying to test you per se, but what he's trying to do is to get you to trust totally in him. Because that is the Christian life, my friends. That is Reformed theology. That is sound theology. Total trust and reliance upon Jesus Christ. It makes Him the center of your life. Nothing else. So often, too often, when things are going well, you see, when the bills are all paid, when I got a new car sitting in the driveway, nobody's calling me up on the phone wanting their money, when all is hunky-dory, I can say, praise the Lord. <laughs> God is good. You know? But boy, when the car's broken, when the doctor says, you know what, we found a lump, there's a mass. When trouble comes, and it will come, Paul says that. In this life, you shall have tribulation, my friends. It's going to come. Who are you trusting in? Who are you trusting in? Paul had those experiences, and he goes on to say that. He going on to say, look, we even despaired of our life. In his next verse, he's going to talk about his episode at Ephesus, which was devastating, life-threatening, to the point where he thought for sure he was going home. I've been there. Maybe you've been there. Those death experiences, close, you know, you, you just know it's over with. I'm checking out. I'm going home.
We all have them. But it's Christ in whom we need to be trusting. That's who our confidence needs to be in. Look at verse 8. He says, for we would not, brethren, have you ignorant. You remember what ignorance means. You know, to be ignorant simply means you do not know. Paul says we. That means him and the other apostles and Timothy and all that was with him. We don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia. He's actually talking about Ephesians. And we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. Paul's reminding him of, of the trouble that he had encountered when he was at Ephesus. And you remember the story. And if you read, the, I think it's the 19th chapter of Acts, the latter part of it, you, you, you can go back and read that. If you remember right, Paul was there ministering and, and a, a couple of the guys who had been helping him got drugged into the, you know, well, I'm getting ahead of the story. Prior to that, they had... Demetrius, the silversmith, had come and began to complain because Paul's preaching was causing people to turn away from idols and they weren't selling their little silver idols of Diana anymore. And so they were, their money was being affected and they were getting upset about it. So they drag a couple of Paul's associates into the arena and, they, and it turns into a riot. You remember the story. Paul was going to go in and, and speak to them and, of course, the leaders of the city who were friends of Paul's said, no, 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 these people are going to kill you. So Paul had to flee Ephesus. And he really believed at that time that his life was in danger. Because it was. He says he even despaired of life. He says, but we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raises the dead. See, that's the purpose. Not to trust in yourself but in God who raises the dead. It seems like such a simple equation, but it is so profound. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, the Bible says. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. Let me say it again. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. All means what, gang? All. With all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. Hey, do it and the God of peace will be with you. It's that simple. When we find ourselves in grave need... God is trying to direct your trust to Him. Ask yourself, how did I get here? Why did I get here? And if it is self-inflicted, my friend, repent. What does that mean? That means to change your mind. So often we can find ourselves in a place that's not good because we've made bad decisions, you see. Now, having said that, it's still God who delivers us out of them. Thank God. The Lord has saved me from, from every one of my bad decisions. And God knows in the 60 years I've been alive, I've made plenty of them. 
How many of us could, you know, we, we you know, the, the, the Monday night quarterbacking of our life, you know, if I would have, should have, and could have, you know, boy, things would have been different. Well, yes, they would have, but you wouldn't have learned anything either. Have you learned? Have you learned to trust in the Lord? Because that's what Paul's talking about. Because tribulation will come. It's going to. It is God's desire for you and me not to be self-confident. Because it's easy to get there. So often, you know, if you're successful in business, and I've been successful in business, so, so many times it, you can get to that point where because, well, you know, money's not an object, that you can become self-confident. You can look around. I remember one time in my business, this is not uh, in my notes, I'm going to give it to you for free. I just think it needs to be said. We were very successful. We were covering 12 states. We were doing a great job. The Lord had really blessed us abundantly. We had one of those laboratories. We were the only lab at one time that was certified not only in environmental, uh, both biological and chemical, but we were also certified in medical, high-complexity medical. Might not mean nothing to you, but at the time it was a very prestigious place to be. We were very successful. But every time somebody came in that door, we always gave them what I called the hallelujah tour. We would take people around and we would tell them the story of how we started in the basement and how the Lord, and we would look at each piece of equipment because we could tell. Let me tell you how the Lord supplied this. Let me tell you how the Lord supplied this. Let me tell you how the Lord supplied that. Only to find out years later, we came to the brink of bankruptcy. And we were so close. I remember me and my partner sitting up in the office and contemplating making that phone call to one of our competitors who we knew would probably buy the business if he had the opportunity. That's how bad it looked. And then as I thought about it, I thought, I wonder what we're doing. We're... It was just something that the Lord laid on my heart. There was something. And so I called the secretary up and I said, tell me, you know, get their accountants. How much are we giving to the Lord from the business? And I'll never forget it. She said, you mean the company, the corporation? Well, yeah. Well, nothing. What? What do you, what do you mean nothing? Well, everybody here ties. Well, I know that. That's not, I'm not talking personally. I'm talking corporately. Nothing. Oh. We called a board meeting. And here's what I told them. I said, everybody that walks in this building, I said, we give them the hallelujah tour, buddy. Here's what God has done, and God gets none of it. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me, brethren? Gets none of it? And they were all as flabbergasted as I was. It was ignorance on our part. It wasn't by purpose. It just was one of those stupid things that fell through the cracks for years. And I said, from then on, oh, from now on, off the top, at the minimum 10%, at the minimum, this is what we said. Here's what happened. <laughs> I think a month went by. I know it was payday. Let me put it that way. And I walked into the office that day. And I walked up to the front and I said, you know, it was a corporation, so we all got 
And I, I went like this, and, she, and the secretary goes, uh, what do you want? And I said, well, I want my paycheck. And she goes, yeah, well, the, the owners aren't getting one today. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it, it, uh, what? Excuse me? Well, we had to make payroll and everything, you know. So the owners aren't getting one today. It wasn't the first time, so I thought, oh, all right, okay. So as I turned around, she goes, oh, yeah, give this to uh, Todd. And t- of course, Todd was our physicist, but he was also the treasurer of the church that I pastored. She said, give this to Todd. And I thought it was his paycheck. And I said, what's this? She said, oh, that's the corporate tithing check. Oh. So exercising my pastoral prerogative, I opened it up. (laughs) Oh, there, boy, that was a lot of zeros. You don't understand what I'm saying. My check was in there somewhere. (laughs) That was the first thought that I came to. It was like, dear Lord, are you, well, we can't, you know. And here's what that secretary said. Never forget it. She goes, oh, I see. We only tithe to the Lord when it's convenient. Ouch. Oh, man, that was, that hurt. I said, man, you're right. You're right. You're absolutely right. So I took it in a hand to Todd. I didn't even say nothing to him. I went up to my office, and within an hour, within an hour, we had enough money that came in that day, not only to pay everything, but I, I got a paycheck too. <laughs> My point being, when I was put to the test, I'd like to tell you that I'm so spiritual that I was like, oh yes, this is, no, I reeled at it. I admitted my error. He that confesses and forsakes his sin, you see, will prosper. And I did, you know. But we had gotten into that situation. It was self-inflicted. But the Lord delivered us from it all. And years later, we could look back and we saw that as we continue to give. Now listen, I know that there's heresy out there. I know that there's people who focus on nothing but giving. And the, you know, I'll call it the hundredfold heresy. I don't care. You can call it what you want. But you know what? God is faithful in those things. And he says, however you want to receive, that's how you give. In that one particular instance, that's what we did. But the Lord delivered us out of it. And, and so often we can be in those self-inflicted areas. And, 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 but God is still going to be the one that we want to trust in. We don't want to get to the point, this is my point, where we're trusting in our ability to produce that which is necessary, if you understand what I'm saying. So we still, you know, whether we're a business person or whether we're working for somebody else, let's realize we're working for God. This is what Paul's saying. So we don't want to trust in our, we don't want to have confidence in ourselves, but confidence in Christ. And in God, who raises the dead. Look at verse 10. He said, who delivered us from, the great, from a great death and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will deliver us. Look at that. Past, present, and future. Do you see that? He says he did deliver us. He is delivering us. And he will deliver us. I'm so thankful for that. Because it is my past experience with Christ that prophetically, if you will, is being worked out in my life presently. And it is because of what's being worked out in my deliverance presently that gives me hope for the future. Because whatever he did in the past in my life, I know he's faithful and he's just, he will continue to do so. But it's past, present, and future. 
Let me close with this. God does deliver. God takes care of his own. He always has. He always will. Because he's faithful. But you have to be one of his, my friends. You see, it is an exclusive family. And without being in the family, then you are basically on your own. I read another thing on the page, and I understand what they meant, but let me, let me straighten it out for you, because I'm sure there's people listening to this broadcast who have a very bad idea, and they've heard some poor preaching. I heard somebody the other day said, God doesn't send anybody to hell. They choose to go. Can I clarify that for you? Do you really believe in your heart of hearts that any person who understands what hell is would choose to go there. Do you really believe that? Because I don't. No, in essence, no doubt that a non-decision for Jesus Christ is a decision. I understand that. And thus, by not choosing Christ, you are choosing your own destination, which will eventually be hell. I understand that. But no person who really believes in hell ever said, give me a double portion of that. It's never happened. Now listen to me. You came into this world a wretched sinner. You were born that way because of your great-grandfather Adam. It's a blood disease, my friend. We all have it. We are all sinners. And we are in desperate need of a Savior, of a blood transfusion, if you will. And without it, you will stand before a holy God. And you are not perfect in that condition. And God demands perfection. But he has made a way. I heard a person say one time that God loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. Well, it's not the sin that he puts in hell, my friend. The problem is, is God and man are enmities. There is enmity. There is sin that separates you from your God. This is what the Bible says, outside of Christ. But in Jesus Christ, we have reconciliation. We have been made part of the beloved. We are brought into his righteousness. It's been bestowed upon us. He has imputed it to us. And without it, you are hopeless. I'm sure that there are those listening to me whose life is a total wreck. Because of your own bad decisions. Listen, I have made bad decisions. We have all made bad decisions. We have all reaped that which we have sown. That, my friends, is temporal. Do not make it eternal. My encouragement to you is turn to Christ while there is time. Repent and believe the gospel. Change your mind about Jesus Christ. Commit yourself to him who is able to raise the dead. And allow his righteousness to cover your sin and to put it completely away. So that on judgment day, we can stand before him perfected in 
Christ Jesus. It's that simple. But it is absolutely necessary that you do it. And I encourage you, do it today. Father, we love you. And Lord, we pray for those who will hear the gospel, Lord. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will touch their heart, Lord Father, and show them their need for Christ. Father, without you, we stand guilty before you. We have all come short of your glory, Lord. We have all sinned against God. We have all done that which is evil in your sight, Lord Father. But we thank you that in Jesus Christ, Lord Father, he took upon himself, Lord, the sins of us all. We thank you that he lived that perfect life for us, Lord Father, that he paid the price for us, and that he stands at your right side. And he makes intercession for us. Lord Father, touch the hearts of those who need to repent. I pray that they would come to ask you, Lord Father, into their life, that they might be saved. In Jesus' name, amen.